3: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com/writingexcuses. Season 16, episode 25. This is Writing Excuses.
4: Breaking into game writing,
2: 15 minutes long.
3: Because you're in a hurry
2: and we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm James. I'm Dan. I'm Cassandra. And I'm Howard. And we are finally arriving at the topic that I bet a lot of our listeners have been waiting for for seven weeks. (laughs) We've been talking about how to write for games, but today we're going to talk about how to break into it as an industry, how to try to get paid for it. So Cass, if someone wants to become a game writer, what do we do? Where do we start? Uh
1: I think setting expectations, unfortunately, is definitely where you want to start. It is a highly competitive business, regardless of the field you're talking about, whether it's tabletop role-playing games or video games or anything in between. And so like any other job, unless you benefit from nepotism, but that is a topic for something else, you start at the bottom. No one is going to hire you to run a new game right off the bat. Nobody wants to publish your home brew setting, not because they don't necessarily believe in your abilities, but because they have an entire stable of people who have already proved themselves and have contacts to reach out to. Most of your work is, unless you end up opening your own studio, going to be work for hire, meaning somebody else owns your creation. And as such, you have to be prepared to follow those marching orders within reason. You're a mercenary. But James, prior to this show, we were discussing artist versus artisan, and I'm curious about the analogy you're using there.
4: Yeah, so this is one I often use along with mercenary, like you said. Where I think an artist is all about sort of you know expressing yourself and creating the thing that is that is you embodied on the page, um, and an artisan I think of as somebody who does a job for somebody else. So when I say uh, I always say for game writing or any sort of tie-in work for hire, um, you're building a house with words for someone else. They tell you what they want, you build it, and then they control what happens to it afterwards. So if you build a beautiful word house and then they decide to paint it with uh, purple polka dots and you hate that, um, sorry, like that's not your house. Like You're fundamentally building something for someone else. And I think that's really important for people to know going in Uh, because it can be easy to get your heart broken if you go in thinking you own something when you really don't. But so getting in, again, is the important part for this show. So how do you get in, Cass?
1: You have to put yourself out there. I know it is possibly a difficult thing to do if you're an introvert, which I think a lot of writers are. But this is definitely one of those things that is just necessary. You have to cold call companies you love, maybe noting a few specific things that you enjoyed about their games. You have to present a portfolio. You have to have a portfolio. And you should network at least as much as you can within the boundaries of what you feel comfortable with. Um, Cons, social media, talking to people at social media, uh, internships, meeting devs. Uh, Dan, do you have any other thoughts on
2: this? Yeah, but before we leave this uh, concept of the portfolio, how does someone build a portfolio before they get hired? I'm glad that you asked, Dan. We were
4: definitely going to hit that. (laughs) Um, So uh, making your own portfolios, um, you kind of have to start a lot of the time by making your own stuff. Um, And so that can be, you know, writing a little one-page role-playing game. Uh, It could be writing interactive fiction, like a choose-your-own-adventure, writing fan material for an existing game, you know, new adventures, new rules, et cetera, modding a video game, even just writing a short story. Anything you've done that's somewhere related to uh, the job you're trying to do can be uh, experience. Um, And then you take that to companies, usually smaller companies, um, while you're first starting and say, hey, I've done some stuff that's related to this. Uh, you know, here's what I can do. Do you need my skills?
3: One of the things also to keep in mind when you're building a portfolio, regardless of the medium in which you are building it, is that portfolios are judged by the weakest piece in it. Um, because your best piece might be a fluke as far as they're concerned. Uh, so whatever your weakest piece is, if you're like, well, I'm I'm including this. It's not really good, but there's this one piece about it. Take that piece out. Take that piece out. Um, portfolio is only as good as your weakest piece.
1: It only ties into something I also wanted to say. Um, joining game jams, at least for video games, is a really good way of building your portfolio. It gives you an understanding of working within time constraints, working within a constraint set by somebody else, and also you will have people judging and commenting on your work. So if you don't necessarily find yourself a good judge of your own abilities, game jams are a good way of uh, outsourcing that very slightly.
2: I'm I'm not sure that I'm familiar with, with game jams. Can you
1: yeah, talk don't to either. us about that? Oh, I keep forgetting that everybody has been in the games industry, video games industry for far too long at this point. I need a new job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So game jams are things organized by the video game community. And I think nowadays by some of the tabletop RPG community. And it's basically um, people will say, okay, over the course of this particular weekend, we need you to make a thing that uses these two ideas. And very often these ideas are voted upon by a community. So it could be stuff like, make us a romance game. But it must, in some way, involve sentient cacti. And then everyone just goes to town creating them. And depending on the game jam, uh, there are pre events where you can partner with artists and programmers, other writers, and you kind of fuse together into this temporary team to pull things off. It's definitely very stressful. I will not lie. It's something people need to watch out before because I've seen folk burn out on it, but it's very much an interesting way of approaching stuff like this.
4: So I wanted to throw out a couple more examples of, uh, Cass had talked about various ways you can network and, you know, get your portfolio in front of people. Uh, we mentioned cons and social media and internships. Um, but there's some others. There are, uh, You can meet with the devs uh, by, say, interviewing them as a fan or for, you know, podcasts, fan sites, the press, whatever. That can be a good way to make contacts in the industry and just get some face time and learn about how things work. You know, I love press because you get to ask people how they do their job and learn from them and get paid for it. Um, You can also take uh, non-writing jobs at game companies just to be sort of around it and learn by osmosis. You need to be careful with that because if I hire an accountant uh, at my game company, I want an accountant, not a game designer. And so uh, you need to make sure that first and foremost, you do the job you were hired for. And if you do it well, then the people in the you know, quote-unquote creative departments are going to be a lot more likely to uh, you know give you a shot when they're looking for freelancers. Um, and there's also mentorships. Uh, Cass, you had talked about one called the Pixels.
1: Yes. Uh, It is just, I think, a yearly thing where a number of people offer to be mentors, they organize classes and workshops, they have little talks that are hosted across the year. And you can apply with the knowledge that there is a group of people embedded in the video games industry who are invested in getting you to the next stage. And this is a little bit of a sidebar, but one thing I definitely want to note, if you're breaking into game writing and you're from a marginalized community, it is incredibly easy to see a list of requirements in a job opening and go, no, this is not for me. Um, Especially in the video games industry, you will see people going, okay, you must have shipped at least one AAA game, something that is very difficult because positions in narrative are very limited. And what I've learned from recruiters and managers over the years is people don't actually care about that. There are very, very many recruiters who will hire people with good portfolios who do not meet those credentials. And as they're breaking into it, like keep that in mind, like do not be dissuaded.
5: Um, One of the things that I've found in the the few occasions when I've done uh work for hire, uh, for for game companies, for for other folks, um, is that the skill set that I built writing Schlock Mercenary and writing other things had some holes in it. And I had to learn new things. And I had to learn them pretty quickly. Fortunately, I'd learned that I can learn things very quickly, and I know how to build a craft uh a craftsmanship skill for myself. Um, but it's a challenge. It's a, the, the learning curve is steep. And while I know we already have homework for this episode, one of the things that I think will build confidence for you in going out there, you know, putting your name out there, somebody says, well, can you write, uh, can you write multi-branched dialogue? And well, the, Question: The the answer you always want to be able to say, yes, I can, because I know I can learn how to do it. But you don't say that part out loud. Um, Over the last several months, we've given lots of different kinds of homework homework assignments in writing excuses, and I've looked at a lot of them and I've said, oh, that looks tedious. I don't want to do that. Okay, if you want to break into writing for hire in any business, I challenge you. Take the homework assignments that looked tedious and you don't want to do them and do them anyway. So that when somebody says, can you do this? Not only can you say, you know, yes, because I know I can learn how to, you might even be able to say, yes, that was a homework assignment on writing excuses and I did it three days ago. <laughs> yeah, but you, you don't actually need to say that part out loud. <laughs> Please don't.
3: <laughs>
6: our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite.
2: Let's uh, take a minute for our game of the week which is coming from James.
4: Yeah, so this week I wanted to uh, talk about a tabletop game called Dread. And the reason I wanted to bring this one up for this class is because it's fairly simple. It's something you know uh, that you could make without a big team. The basic mechanic of Dread is that you use a Jenga tower, and every time you have to try and do something... Uh, The GM says, okay, pull one piece or pull two pieces or pull three, um, depending on how hard you're trying. And if the Jenga Tower falls, your character dies. And it's a horror game. And that little mechanic is so good at creating tension because as the game goes on, everyone's just naturally getting more and more scared of that thing falling. So, like, that's a very simple mechanic that, like, is an idea that you could come up with and put, you know, you could build a game off an idea that simple and put it online and really impress people. Similarly, the character creation system is the best I've seen in that it's just a series of leading questions. And so the GM will give you uh, a bunch of questions and there'll be things like, why didn't you talk to your father before he died? What's hidden in your sock drawer? When was the last time you <laughs> cried? You know, and so as you answer these things for your character, it's impossible to not create a backstory uh, and so that's a that's dread. It's a super cool indie RPG, um, and I encourage people to check it out. So uh, as we're coming out of that, talking about uh, you know indie RPG um, and talking about credits, you know, while absolutely you should be applying, you know, at the big companies, um, it's also really important to be looking at the smaller companies and seeing uh, what companies are doing good work because um, you're going to have a lot easier time getting in there. And then I always think of uh, like Katamari Damacy or the sort of what I call the snowball theory of career, which is you get credits wherever you can and then you roll them up into larger and larger gigs. So maybe you start putting out a little thing on your own and then you use that to get in with a small RPG company and then you use that to get in with the next larger one and so forth.
1: But I think universally speaking, impressing bosses, uh, the process is pretty much exactly the same. You should give whoever hires you, whether they're from a small company or a large one, precisely what they want. You want to hit your word count, not more, not less. You absolutely want to hit your deadlines. If you can't, you should always be transparent about your inability and give people enough time to create a buffer in case
3: Something comes up. Speaking of buffers, uh, this is a, a piece of general life advice to people. One of the things that people will do when they t- want to impress bosses is that you will do 110% that first couple of months. The problem is that they assume that that is your normal. <laughs> and uh, And you will then have to do that level of work all the time, and if you if they add more to it, and you succeed at that, that is what they think is your normal. So you actually want to build a buffer in for yourself. Uh, a piece of advice that I heard very recently was to to come in and plan on giving eighty percent, so that the times when you actually have to do extra, when that that reserve tank is there, and that you can bring that. Uh, but the other is not sustainable. Um, I have spent my entire life building it to create crises, because I work best in a crisis. Uh, but that also means that I have big burnout periods. Um, yeah, I
2: saw somebody on Twitter the other day, and maybe this was something you had linked to, Mary Robinette. Uh, but they said their therapist had told them mm-hmm. that if you always do your best, it's not your best anymore. It's your average. <laughs> yeah. And that can be such an easy trap to fall into. Um, especially for you know an employee or, or a freelancer. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So so when you when you when and I'm not saying you know like to deliberately slack off, but think about how you work best and do that. Um, but don't uh, ma- remember that whatever expectations you set at the beginning are the expectations that you have to live up to for the rest of your time there.
4: Yeah. And I would say as Capitalism. somebody who spent, you know, a decade. Oh, as I was to say, as somebody who spent a decade hiring authors, um, one of the easiest things you can do to really stand out is just match their existing material. Do that thing we were talking about before where identifying their formatting, the language they use, the way the game is written. Um, if you can copy those specific style elements for the game when you're writing for it, if what you can give them looks as close as possible to what an in-house uh, generated document looks like, you're going to make it easier for them. And you're also going to make it seem like, uh, like you are already on the team. You know, it makes it a lot easier to hire somebody if you can tell that they're going to be able to jump right in with very little onboarding.
1: Cass, what were you going to say? I was going to say capitalism has definitely created very toxic work environments in general across all the industries. Um, What you mentioned earlier about not giving your 100%, but instead something that is comfortable with a buffer to grow into if you need to crunch, like that is really good advice. And that is advice that I think a lot of companies is trying to push under the carpet because they want to pressure everyone to go as hard as possible churn them out and get the next you um, hire who is willing to work for a lot yeah. less than you might have once you've realized your importance and role in that company, which I think is an oddly depressing point to
3: bring up in an episode <laughs> about breaking <laughs> into the game. Actually, semester, yeah, but game uh, but industry. I will say... Yeah, I will. I will say something from having hired people, from talking to my husband who works in winemaking, uh, to talking to a contractor, to talking to uh, editors. Um, if you are competent and show up on time, um, and are pleasant to work with, you are. <laughs> that's that's basically all people want.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like what what James just said about uh, making things easy on the hiring person, making things easy on the manager. It's not that you have to give 110%. You just have to hit your word count, hit your deadline, make their job easy, and then they're going to hire you for the next project.
4: Yeah, that was uh, my very first editor when I started out in journalism uh, told me, uh, oh, James, you're you're one of my favorite writers. And I went, oh, thank you. Like, what is it? What is it about it that speaks to you? And he goes, you're, you're always on, you're always on time and you're always on word count. And I said, Oh, well, what about the writing itself? And he went, Oh, that's fine. (laughs) But he kept hiring me.
5: Yeah. I, uh, uh, when I was drawing the Munchkin, uh, Starfinder Munchkin Starfinder, uh, stuff, there was a big piece I was doing and I had given one of the very small characters a very large wrench for comedy value. And there was this approval process, and it kept coming back. And the guy at pizo I don't know his probably name. Probably
4: best not to say. Um, <laughs>
5: yeah, you know what? It's fine. Uh, it it might have been a mic. It might have been a mat. It began with an M. It I was think. probably Mark Moreland. Sorry, Mark. It That's <laughs> has, it has, fine. Uh, but what came back was, uh, make the wrench smaller. Okay, so I did a quick erase, redraw, made the wrench smaller, came back again, make the wrench smaller again, at which point I stopped and I talked to the art director and I said, I could be wrong, but I think what Mark means is I hate the whole idea of the small character with the large prop and I don't want it in the piece. And so what I'm going to do for this next fix is I'm going to give the character a flamethrower instead so that it fills the visual space. Let me know if Mark's okay with that. And now I'm saying it's Mark (laughs) because it must have been. And what came back around was, oh, that's perfect. He loves it. I share that with you because giving the bosses what they want depends entirely on a suite of communication skills that involve you knowing what the boss wants even when sometimes the boss doesn't, and that's hard to navigate.
3: Well, and some, Very and it
5: also it involves asking questions.
3: Like, yes. never be afraid to ask a question when you don't understand the parameters.
4: I want to just to end on an inspiring note because uh, it can be so intimidating to think, you know, oh, well, these people got in; they've they've always been in the game industry. Um, I would just love to know, like, Cass, how did you break in?
1: Oh. To the games industry specifically in terms of development, my first big role was because I would not shut up. I was working PR at a convention and I met someone who worked at in Excel, and I ran up to him going, oh my God, did you work on the original Planescape Torment?" And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I won't work at your company. He was like, I'm just a writer. What do you want me to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Here is my portfolio. Uh, If there's ever an opening that you think is appropriate, please let me know. And we kept that up for about four years before I got hired in. It was just constantly me just jumping in going, hi, please. So blind obstinance, that's that's how I got into it.
4: <laughs> and I think that's really important for people to hear because, like, that is that is the message. It is just throwing yourself at it. Um, I got in the same way where you know I wanted to work on Amazing Stories magazine, which was run by the same people who did Dungeon and Dragon, and they were hiring for an editor in chief. And so I emailed the CEO of the company and said, "I am totally unqualified for that job, but <laughs> I, uh, you know, I have this portfolio of journalism." Is there anything at your company that I might be useful for? And uh, she brought me in and started me out uh, working on their website, finding JPEGs for a Nicola JPEG, which was very far from being a magazine editor, but it got me in the door. So uh, don't be afraid to just throw yourself at the door.
3: Yeah, I got in because... um, A friend of mine had been asked to to write uh, loading screens, Um, and he does not write short at all. Uh, It's not Brandon, it's someone else. (laughs) Um, But he knew that I wrote short and that I wrote fast and uh, introduced me to them. And so I wrote these loading screens and I could hit the word count that they needed and uh, I would turn it in on time. And I had no problems with multiple iterations. And uh, then they hired me again to do something else because I had turned things in on time. Um, and, uh, and that's basically, you know, I came in at it from the side, but it was um, because I had honed a set of skills in a different area. And then, you know, I turn up on time <laughs> and hear word count.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Dan, you want to go next? Uh, Yeah, I'm actually relatively new in the games industry. I've written a bunch of tie-in fiction in the past. But about two years ago, I started getting uh, approached by game companies. And that's just because I started producing uh, two different web series. Uh, We do Typecast, uh, which is the Twitch show that Howard and I and a bunch of other authors do, where we play games online. And I'm the Game Master. And then I also do a weekly uh, YouTube series of role-playing game reviews. And so it was, I, I was not actually at the time seeking out employment writing games, but raised enough eyebrows or, you know, got onto enough people's radar because of all the web stuff I was doing related to gaming that I was contacted by people at cons and stuff. So that's where it came for me. But, you know, that's after... 12 years of, of writing books. Uh, so
5: yeah. So about, uh, about 12 years ago, I'd been making Schlock Mercenary for eight years. I was at a convention in the green room with Tracy Hickman, who was pitching this idea for this book he wanted to write called Extreme Dungeon Mastery, and he couldn't find a publisher for it. And I told him, well, here's a Schlock Mercenary book. We self-published these. You should totally self-publish things. Um, and what he heard apparently was, I would like to publish your book and can I draw the pictures for it? (laughs) Um, he came back to me and said basically that and said, oh, and can we have it by Gen Con? And I did the math and realized, and Sandra and I both, we had this discussion, Tracy, you're asking us to turn around a 160 page role-playing supplement in 12 weeks, And he said, yeah, can you do it? Like, I really don't think we can do it. That's too fast. So no. And then he came back to us three weeks later and said, but I really want to do it. Can you do it? And we said, well, (laughs) now it's nine weeks. So obviously the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's the story of the game industry. I I broke in by doing something way too fast. Uh, Sandra was brilliant in assembling all of this. Uh, She contacted our friend Stacy Whitman to help with the copy editing. We ended up putting a team together to publish a Tracy Hickman book at Gen Con. And then I ended up at Gen Con and coming back to what Cassandra has said. uh, At that point, I was now networking with games people instead of with comics people and other opportunities began presenting themselves. Uh, Howard, is Extreme Dungeon Mastery still available? Um, I think we might be out of print of the hardbacks. Um, I need to talk to Sandra. I'll post something in the liner notes about whether or not it's still a thing. Cool. Uh, Mary Robinette, what were you going to say?
3: I was going to say, by interesting coincidence, next week we will be talking about teams, and uh, I think that we should probably wrap this episode up and go to homework so that we can talk about Teams next week.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah.
3: Your homework this
1: week is brainstorm something short you can make to showcase your skills. It could even be the homework from a previous lesson. Then make that thing and post it online for
2: free. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write.
3: This has been Writing Excuses. Your hosts for this episode were Cassandra Khaw, Mary Robinette Kowal, James L. Sutter, Howard Taylor, and Dan Wells. The episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and brought to you by our supporters at patreon.com slash writing excuses.